Fuck a swell with this guy, man. Look at him, you know. Shaggy the airhead. On the beat. What the fuck is wrong with this guy, man? Look at him, you know. And with a click, we're away. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. You'd know the fucking drill. Uh, I am Mad Maximilian. Uh, God damn it. I tried to think of something funny. It didn't work. Um, anyway, uh, with me as not always is the recording foam and paintings by uh, Pleatherface, Tom Wood, and Brian Red. I can't remember his artist name, but uh, Derek, uh, aka Fifty of the Funniest Fingers, he is actually not here today because uh, we did not actually set up for to do today. Um, you may notice how this episode came out uh, late, and uh, the reason for that is because I suck at life. Uh, but no, really, uh, I've had a ton of shit going on and. The last episode that we did, which I will now let you in on what the, what the deal is, uh, we were doing a watch-along to uh, Big Money Hustlers, but somehow the shit didn't save, man. I don't know how the fuck that even happened. This is the first time that shit's happened. It is not a common occurrence. I apologize. We're going to do it again, but like, yeah, that's fucking why we're on the, the, the late tip here, because I'm just recording this. And I'm putting it right online. But so what I wanted to do today, since uh, Derek is not here, and because, well, I haven't really done this for the Carnival Grounds. You know, we've talked a little bit about where I came from. Uh, you know, it's come up here and there. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's not as though I'm trying to be like, you know, self-absorbed, like, oh, check me out. But... I, you know, I, there, I do have, you know, a decent amount of fans out there, and I feel like not everybody really knows exactly how I became Mad Max, and that story does actually involve a lot of juggalo shit. I mean, that's where I got the name specifically. Uh, so we will get to that, but, uh, I will, uh, you know, I want to take you guys on a little bit of a journey mostly through the East Coast during the late 80s and early 90s into the 2000s. But, uh, it, you know, it'll go some places. Colorado and Arizona. Delaware at so a certain point. But, so, yeah. Let me just think of, uh... Well, fuck it. I mean, let's just, like, start right at the beginning. I was born in Manhattan, which, you know... City that never sleeps. Hey, taxi! I'm walking here. Oh, I, I should fucking hang myself for that. Um, anyway, no. So I was born at Lenox Hill Hospital, 1985, September 1st. And that hospital, as it happens, is right across the street from the um, Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is a fucking fantastic museum. If in fact you are ever in New York, you should check it out. But I was born premature. I was in an incubator for the first, I can't, it was six weeks or some period of time. Who fucking knows? But you'd never guess that looking at me now because I'm a big old fat fucker. But yeah, so I don't know if that lent anything to who the fuck I would become, you know, being stuck in an incubator for the first few weeks and then not getting enough touch. 
and eventually getting more touch. I don't fucking know. I like pussy. I think maybe that's what I was talking about. Anyway, um, born to a New York Jew and a Long Island Catholic. I'll let you guys guess which was the man and which was the woman. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I lived in Manhattan for like, I maybe I think the first three years of my life, but I don't really, I don't remember any of it. I didn't really get to, went back to New York plenty over the years, but, uh, moved to a place called Panther Valley, which was a, uh, suburb in, well, really it was a gated community in, uh, Hackettstown, New Jersey, which it was a gated community. All right. But it was a gated community that had its fair share of ratchet-ass poor people. So it was like, you know, some areas of the, you know, some places were nice, some places were kind of not. And, and which, don't get me wrong, it wasn't dangerous, it was not violent, uh, there's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, I actually, <laughs> I remember one time I went back there with a friend of mine, Matthew O'Brien, good guy, um, and we were just kind of hanging out, you know, like, uh, the fuck was that? Anyway, just like, you know, rolling around uh, through the town. And, uh, well, not the town, you know, it's the development or fucking whatever. And I went to where my, uh, where we used to swim. There was a pool, there was a tennis court, well, fucking, I think we called it Village Four. I think that's what it was called. And so we were just hanging out there and this kid walked up. He couldn't have been older than 15. And he said some shit to me like, you guys need anything? And I was already out there to smoke some weed. You know what I mean? Weed wasn't quite legal back then. I couldn't just fucking, I didn't feel comfortable just, you know, smoking in the car while my boy drove. Uh, so we're just doing that. And then like, he walked up like trying to like, yeah, what you need, I got you. And I just remember looking at this kid thinking like, I should fucking rob you right now. Like, we're in the fucking suburbs of the suburbs and you are clearly not fucking built for this life because you are out here and it's fucking what like 10 30 11 o'clock at night in the burbs and you're walking around trying to get fucking hand-to-hands from strangers i should have just fucking knocked his ass out and then stole his shit but cooler heads prevailed and i just told him i was good and he left but so it was, you know, that it was it was always kind of that place like there was a lot of weird dysfunction in that town. And it was one of those kinds of places where don't let anybody ever fool you and try to tell you that these like gated communities or these places where people have more money, where the golf course looks all, you know, immaculate and, you know, clean and they got a homeowners association and all that bullshit. Don't ever let those fucking people try to tell you that there ain't mental illness in those fucking communities, that there ain't drug addiction in those communities, that there's not abuse and neglect in those communities, all kinds of shit. The only, and I promise the only difference is that in a lot of cases, those people understand that they have to put on airs to be able to exist in that environment, regardless of what's wrong with them. So all they got to do is put up a front and then there you go. You're all good. That was basically my entire childhood. Living in this place was like, I got to like, really, I give my father credit because my father, and I remember this very specifically, my father did not make one friend, not one fucking friend in that entire neighborhood. 
And don't get me wrong, my father is kind of a testy prick, so it's not like it's the craziest thing in the world that he didn't gel with these people. But even I made a couple of connections, like a couple of these kids I actually connected with and made friends with. But he just genuinely just did not vibe with fucking any of these people. And the sad part about that is that there's a real good chance that part of the reason why is that he was Jewish. And we lived in an area where I think 20 or 30 minutes away in a town called Oxford, there was a Klan headquarters or some shit like that. So we lived in an area where we were, they were not positive on Jews. We had to travel like 30, 40 minutes to go to temple. And so all this that happened right around the same time, and I'm mentioning this for a specific reason, would lead me towards juggalo shit. And this is what it was. In like somewhere between fifth to seventh grade, I found heavy metal. I was going to a day camp called Jeff Lakes, and there were some kids there. They were teenagers, you know, they were super cool kids that I don't know if you guys remember like going to these kinds of things where like teenagers and older kids would be around younger kids. And like there were just these kids that went to this camp and they were, you know, real cool kids, you know? And they, uh, you know, they listened to all kinds of crazy music I had never heard. First, ba- the, the first two bands that I remember finding were Offspring and White Zombie. Uh, Offspring, it was Smash, White Zombie, it was La Sex or Sisto. La Sex or Sisto is actually the first album I ever bought with my own money. But, was it my own money? Whatever. Could have been my father's money, I don't think it matters. I was fucking 10. Uh, one way or another, that really led me towards like, oh, I like this heavy, aggressive shit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Offspring actually caught me because they had a song called Bad Habit where they swore like five times in a row. You stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker. Which is funny because that song is all about road rage. I just, I don't know why I thought that was funny years later. But um, one way or another, finding that then made me want to find other kinds of music. And then right around that same time, at Hebrew school, I met a kid named Evan. He put me on to corn, and then he put me on to ICP. And it was the kind of thing where I was just like, this is like unlike some shit I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, I've, I know I've definitely talked about finding ICP with Evan. You know, I know I talked about that here. But I will also say that during that time, having found ICP was just, it was very cathartic because it was starting to give me this sense of like, I don't have community. The people that I hang out with in school mostly don't like me. Some of them do, mostly in private, which I'm not even mad at those kids, man, because I was fucking weird. I was a weird fucking kid. I'm not even going to hold them. But with that said, it you know, I didn't really have a real friend circle. And even if I did, I was not very accepted within it. I remember going to a fucking uh, sleepover one time. And for whatever reason, they were fucking with me. And I got really, really upset. And I yelled something like, you guys are treating me like I'm a lower life form. And of course, they fucked with me about that all night. But a good amount of those kids, I actually did kind of hang with as the years went by. And it's kind of funny because as you get older, you realize, like, you know, I was kind of a prick when I was younger and then you're like because I've met a bunch of these kids as the years have gone by and it's been all love you know what I mean so I don't look back at anybody from those days with any genuine anger but I will also say that period of time 
was what created one of my uh, most important songs, which is Class Time Horror, and I'll tell you about that. Uh, Class Time Horror was just based on the idea right around 8th grade, I think it was 8th grade, um, Columbine happened. Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, Littleton, Colorado. First really majorly publicized uh, school shooting in that way. A couple had happened before then, but it was like that that uh, that iconic image was the kid falling out of the window, you know what I mean? With the, uh, the SWAT team. So that got a lot of parents scared and I was the weird kid in our school. And one day headed home from uh, detention or fucking whatever it was, band practice, who knows. And these kids were fucking with me like they sometimes did. And the conversation actually went pretty deep, but the one thing that I said in particular that got me in trouble was, you guys are lucky that I have self-control because if I didn't, that Columbine shit would happen all over again. And unfortunately, I didn't understand at the time that you just kinda can't say shit like that. Because in my brain, I told you I have self-control. I'm not gonna do it. But then in their brains, they're like, oh, well, yeah, but what if you lose control? You better lose yourself in the moment, the moment you own it. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, I, I didn't even sing that right. It was lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. I don't know. But one way or another, that shit got me in trouble. And they were talking about just straight kicking me out of school for a while. But before that could happen, my mother, in her infinite wisdom, pulled me out of the school. And that was totally the right move, by the way. I was not being sarcastic. Because it was the kind of situation where, like, let me put it into some, uh, let me give you some uh, context. When I went back, there was a guy named Mitch Schlesinger. Cool guy. He was very nice. I actually remember once at the roller rink, well, the skate park, really, but it was a roller rink and a skate park. It's an airsoft arena now. But, so I was there once, and he showed up, like, with all his friends or whatever. I don't know why the fuck he was even there, quite frankly. It was a roller rink. Like, maybe he was picking up a chick he was fucking in or getting some weed from somebody. But it was winter. And we always used to hang out out front and, like, get people to give us cigarettes and fucking whatever. And I threw a snowball at somebody and it either hit him or hit one of his friends. And I just remember the guy fucking looking at me like, who the fuck are you? And then Mitch is like, it's fine. He's cool. Don't worry about it. And... But so this guy, he had gone to the school that I went to, Alamucci Elementary School. He went to that school. And he fucking, I can't, maybe he was in early, early childhood education. I don't fucking know. But they consigned him to basically be my supervisor. Like, if you go to the bathroom, he's going with you. When you walk from class to class, he's walking with you. When you go to have lunch, for a long time, actually, I was having lunch in the guidance counselor's office because a bunch of kids once kept fucking with me about the uh, the old Navy performance flea song. They just kept singing it to me and singing it to me and singing it to me. And for whatever reason, it was really upsetting me. And like, I almost threw a desk at a kid in class. But then at lunch, I'm just trying to stay off by myself. And then this one kid, uh, Sam, I think his name was, said it. So I just grabbed him by the throat, screamed, shut up in his face, and then I ran out of the school and went and fucking cried behind a tree. Uh, but then they found me, and they're like, all right, well, we're not going to kick you out of school for this, but you can't have school. Yeah, can't have lunch in the lunchroom anymore. Can't be having any more of that. So I would have my uh, Lunchables with a tiny can of cola uh, and a weird microwavable burger. I'd have that in the guidance counselor's office. She was nice. I think sometimes she let me use her computer. I think I listened to a Godsmack song on it once. Anyway, 
this guy Mitch, like, I for years that was some fucked up shit. The idea, like, they actually had somebody walk into the fucking bathroom to be like, to make sure, like, oh, Max isn't loading a gun, but this is the fucked up part, and I didn't realize this until I was basically told uh, many years later by my parents. It was not that they were worried that I was going to go do some shit. It's not that they thought, oh, yeah, he's actually plotting. He's going to go. They knew, uh, objectively, I did not have access to guns. I didn't know anybody that had access to guns except for one kid who, ironically, did live right down the street, like walking distance from the school. But his father locked up his guns, and they were very responsible about it, as I recall. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I remember them being responsible about it because I hung out with that kid pretty often. And... So they knew that there was really no way that this fucking 12-year-old kid in the suburbs is going to get a fucking gun. And I also wasn't motivated to do it. I think they knew that too. But they had this guy following me because they didn't want the other kids saying, oh, I saw Max doing A, B, and C, and then just creating bullshit. Because it would have worked. If if a bunch of kids said they saw me doing something and there was nobody there to say it didn't happen, that's the fucked up part about, like, the legal system even. But anyway, I tell that story to point out that my eighth grade experience was not great. My ninth grade experience was kind of whatever. I was actually getting more into being a juggalo at that point, but I wasn't quite there. And there was actually a big group of kids from Hackettstown, excuse me, that did like backyard wrestling and they were crazy ass kids. And I'm starting to think in the back of my head that they might have been juggalos. But... I never actually tried to approach them about it because I wasn't that into it yet. I didn't really understand. And not to mention, I came from Panther Valley and these kids actually lived in Hackettstown. So I can guarantee you, if I had tried to approach them on some Juggalo shit, they very well might have been like, oh, look at this Richie motherfucker thinking he can hang out with us. So like, I ain't even mad. I actually remember this one kid, Sean Kellner, I think his name was. He fucking, he smashed a can on his head because we were talking about we wanted to do backyard wrestling and they were doing backyard wrestling. And so we were talking about setting something up. But it's actually kind of funny because realistically with a situation like that, if that if like we had agreed and then showed up at their place, it wouldn't have been like a backyard wrestling match. It would have just been like them beating my ass, more or less. Because it was a bunch of them and one of me. But anyway, I left that school in ninth grade and then moved up to South Orange in uh, 10th grade when I started there. And that's important to the story only because that's where I learned how to rap. Uh, The homie Rashid, uh, who he went by so many rap names, I think SB Bonkers was like, with Sheed B Bonkers, that was his fucking last name that I remember him having, Uh, but he had several over the years. Anyway, he was the one that really, like, taught me how to rap initially. Like, really kind of put me on to lyricism. And we freestyled together all the time. We were smoking weed. Speaking of which... I've been holding this motherfucker for 19 minutes and 3 seconds. (coughs) Anyway. (coughs) He said as he continued to cough. Ah, bong rips. Where was I? South Orange, Rashid. (coughs) So he taught me how to rap, but also I started hanging (coughs) with people he knew. (coughs) 
some of which were gangbangers. Bloods, as it turns out. And <clears throat> it was actually really funny because in hanging with them, I actually learned what pitchforks were. Because for, you know, however many years before that, I had been reciting songs from ICP where they talk about forks up, forks down. I had Ringmaster, obviously, so I saw the album artwork. And I I didn't get it. I didn't know what that... I just was, oh, it's just some shit. Forks up, forks down. That sounds cool. It wasn't until I met these guys and they started talking to me about fucking pitchforks. Like, that's folk shit. F-O-L-K. Uh, gangster Disciple shit. And pitchforks going up, that was basically... The way that it was explained to me, because I hung with Bloods, was pitchforks up meant Crips are good, pitchforks down meant Bloods are good. So at that point, I started looking at this where like, and it was also crazy too, where the pitchforks thing was a big thing just because that was Bloods and Crips, but then there was also uh, Vice Lords, Gangster Disciples, Latin Kings, Nietas, Latin, I think I said Latin Kings already. Um, and granted, a lot of these gangs, they fucking, you know, they had separate ideologies and whatnot, but the pitchforks thing, usually, like, typically you were on one side or the other, basically. It was either like, you were part of the folk nation or you weren't. And the fact, I, I will say this again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Excuse me, I'll probably say it many, many more times. The fact that Insane Clown Posse, Two white dudes from fucking Detroit were willing to say on a fucking record, forks up, forks down? That's fucking crazy. Do you have any idea the level of fucking balls that you have to have to walk up to a gang and be like, yeah, y'all are cool, but they're cool too. You didn't see what I just did with my hand there, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah, y'all are cool, but we fuck with them too. We fuck with everybody. Do you have any fucking idea how insane that is? Because let me tell you something right now. There are a thousand percent crews that will fuck you up for that. That are like, oh, you got love for everybody? Well, fuck that. You got love for me. Or you got love for the fucking ground. Like, I, I will never stop being impressed at the fact that Insane Clown Posse was willing to assail gang culture in that way it's fucking wild but anyway getting back to it so I was learning to rap and not to mention by the way here's another thing and I feel like this is a really important thing to say is there were some cats that I hung with when I was first living in South Orange that I was rapping with uh, one kid was named Carl another one was named Ray Farm uh, these super cool dudes and we would freestyle sometimes like in homeroom or like lunch or other stuff like that and back when I first was out there, because I was a bold-ass, stupid fucking teenager, while I was rapping, sometimes I would throw the N-word out there. And, it, and most of the time, they would let it pass. But I remember one time specifically, Carl was talking to me. He was like, listen, bro, I just want you to know, like, I like you. You're a cool guy. I really do. Th I really, and you can rap, like, for real. But I just want you to know, that shit's not cool. Like, they, you shouldn't be saying that shit. And for whatever reason, it had never been explained to me in that way. And because, again, a lot of the kids that I, were ha I was hanging with, you know, especially when you're young, you know, they, my homies were giving me a pass, basically. But 
when he broke that down to me, it was one of these kinds of things. There was another experience that I had once, not long after this actually, where I met some dudes in uh, Seaside Heights when I briefly ran away from home. Uh, but <clears throat> so I met these guys very randomly, and I was hanging with a lot of unscrupulous fucking people in that place. It was a fucking it was wild. But I met these guys, and we were hanging, you know, for a while, and they were very cool. And I remember at one point, because I, you know, I was spitting my fucking, you know, like, pretending to be a gangster rap, basically, because, again, I started hanging out rapping with gang members, so that was what it sounded like. And I remember this dude said to me, like, ah, right, yo, so, like, tell me some stories about what you did with your gun. And I just looked him dead in the eyes, and I was just like, bro, I'm not going to front. I ain't never done nothing like that. Because at that point, it was just like the veil fell like, oh, so are you really that person? And what I, what I remember him telling me was basically like in so many words, you ain't got to lie to kick it. Like you ain't got to pretend to be a thug. You don't have to do that. And just to sew this part up, one last thing, a dude that I fucking met in uh, Philadelphia who... I will just refer to as, you know what, he was just a homie, I don't even want to, because I don't know, but, so, dude would, like, homie was a gangster, like, a legitimate, actual, true-to-life gangster, and I, one of the things he told me was, he wore black shirts every single day, I remember that very specifically, and he's, t and I remember him telling me, you know, not everything is how you think it is, like, not everything is happening because of the reasons that you assume. Like, I wear black shirts every day to remind myself not to be evil. That was the fucking... That was some wild shit to be told. Like, he told me some other shit, but I'm also not going to say that. But that's, that's a whole other thing. But one of the things I remember him telling me, because I was... This was right in the beginning of the Seven Seal days. Like, this was right when I started first working with Low Key. Because I was living in Philadelphia. So, this is when I was working with them. And... I remember him, like, basically just saying, like, you know, you gotta just write, you, you gotta make what's real for you. You know what I mean? Like, don't be making shit that you think you're supposed to be making, like, uh, you know, because I was doing some of the horrorcore shit, and I definitely get, like, again, with, like, the dude in Seaside Heights and then this guy, people that have actually had to do, like, genuinely fucked up shit, like, violent shit, most of them ain't positive on it. They don't feel good about it. They like, it's not some shit where they're like, yeah, that was fucking, mm, let's do that again. People like that are fucked up for the most part. And I'm not even trying to say that if you enjoy violence to some extent, that you're like just straight up and down fucked up. Cause that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that my experience of having met people who I genuinely believe have done real violence in their life, very few of them are happy about it. That's my point. So in making like, you know, these horrorcore songs, rap was, you know, it was still younger then and still very, very new in a lot of ways. Like this was again, fucking, what am I thinking? At least 15 years ago. So, you know, hip hop just turned 50. So at 35, that's not even that old. And fucking, you know, they're looking at hip hop in a certain way. And then you hear somebody, you know, making the, you know, like class time horror, be my victim. And like, it took me a while to figure out that horrorcore is meant to be an expression of angst and not meant to be like just this parade of fucking gore. 
it, like you can do shit like that, but it it comes from somewhere real. That's the fucking point. But so I'm not sure exactly which part of my life I was at before, but the fact that I the the thing happened again the the thing that happened at my school that very much uh, shaped who I would be as a person, uh, and then South Orange hanging with uh, Rashid and uh, the homies. Uh, I want to know what, I'm not going to mention what set it was until I talk to homie and ask him if it's okay that I specify because I'm, I'm not fucking making that mistake. But one way or another, hanging with them actually was something that my family was noticing and they felt it was sending me down a bad path and... Again, I ran away to Seaside Heights, but then got fucking obviously hemmed up immediately because I, like an idiot, called my parents asking for money. Like, the, the fucking, just the lamest fucking ridiculous, spoiled white kid shit you ever seen in your life. I'm not proud of it, but I am willing to be honest about it. Um... And so, yeah, they just came down and picked me up immediately. And I remember a cop telling me, like, you know, you're actually very lucky that you have parents that are willing to, uh, you know, do this for you right now because this does not go this way all the time. Like, this could go badly for you. You can't just be a kid on the street. It doesn't work that way. So I went to this fucking uh, wilderness rehabilitation program in Utah. And then I went to... Uh, fucking school in Colorado called the uh, Colorado Timberline Academy. It was a private school. And uh, and I also just want to make this clear, by the way, at this point of the program, that I have never portrayed myself as somebody who came from struggle. I'm not. I very, very much came from privilege. And it is for that reason I have always paid my privilege forward. Every time I've ever had my own place to live, I've had other people living with me. I've got a lot of people that can fucking attest to that. And every everything I've ever had, I've tried to fucking spread around because it's like, I didn't fucking work for this. This isn't mine. And even if it was, I would still want to be generous, but I just, you know, even to a fault, quite frankly, at certain points, like, I have just been, ugh, like, feel bad about not having to suffer but now that I've gotten older I realize that it's you know some of us we're, we're just born the way that we're born it's, it, it is what it is you do what you can with what you have but the uh the significant thing that happened at the school because it, I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't significant uh was I made my first actual track called Welcome to Oblivion and it was basically like you died and you went to hell and you're seeing hell you know what I mean he made the beat Welcome to Oblivion. I don't know what Welcome to Oblivion was from. Some, some movie. Who knows? Could be legend. But fucking... I, I wish I could... Your time is up. Your time has come. So come with me. Let me show you all the things that your eyes don't see. Uh, something the mystery of what life is and where you go in the afterlife like you didn't already know. Something, then you wake up. I just, it, it, I just remember at one point you were up, you were knee deep in shit and piss. That much I remember. But uh, some of the kids from the school might remember it. It was a song, like people knew about it. Like I did it, and then people heard it, 
and then we did this like thing in the common room once and everybody was like oh should i do this song and it was like yeah so i did it hey that and not for nothing that might have been the watershed moment right there where i was like oh i'm gonna do a fucking performance and i'm gonna rap for people and it actually went over well and then from that point forward like oh i guess i'm just gonna do this for the rest of my life but uh to that end uh durango colorado is the shit and uh, go there if you ever get a chance. Picturesque as a motherfucker. <laughs> what a way with words I have. But so, after high school, and this is the significant part, the really significant part, as far as why I am here, September 19th, 2023, talking to you, very likely a juggalo, on the Carnival Grounds podcast through Juggalo News. So, I come home from from high school and my parents were super positive. Once I had graduated high school, they were super positive on kind of letting me do my thing. Like, no bullshit. I swear to God that this is true. There's a picture somewhere on the internet of me at the gathering 2004 with a hitting a green pipe with a red visor and my hair is red. I was at the the seminar tent 2004, likely before ICP seminar, I would I would imagine. And that pipe was called the Green Goblin and it broke in my bag. But I got that pipe home from Colorado because my mother, sister and aunt cleaned my fucking pipes for me so that we could get them on the airplane. I swear to God that is true. And it was fucking, it was, it was crazy first and foremost, but just like they were chill on like they were, my family was always very positive on like, you know, you gotta be easy about it. Like my mother was sober by this time, but my fucking family was always very like, you know, people do shit, you know, like what the fuck? gonna judge nobody for that shit and I think even they knew at the time that like if you're gonna do drugs pot's probably one of the better ones to do even between pot and alcohol quite frankly I'll tell you right now I do not drink really not a fan I drink a lot of sugary shit so that's maybe a drug maybe if I started looking at sugar like a drug I would use it less that's an interesting thought this is apparently sugar free but how much better is that actually Anyway, so I came home and one of the things that I had been doing, or wait, gathering 2004, probably have already done that part of the story at a different time. Like I feel like I have brought it up before, but just as a refresher, I made some songs with Low Key back when he was still doing Temple Rain. And we, like, met at the 2004 gathering, but we, like, didn't really hang out. And one of the things from the internet back then, they don't do it, like, maybe they do it now. Like, written memes, I guess, but... We used to do shit called fan signs, where, like, someone would be like, you know, write my screen name and say some shit and take a picture. And I remember he asked for one for Temple Rain, because obviously he was trying to promote, because even back then he was fucking like, let's fucking do this shit. So... I remember I started talking to him once I came home because he was in some of the same 
uh, Juggalo gathering forums or Juggalo centrals, whatever, you know what I mean? Again, he was out there trying to fucking do his thing. And I remember just being like, oh, hey, so you make music? Yeah, like you record? Can you fucking help me out? Like, I'm trying to get some shit done. You know what I mean? Let's uh, fucking do the thing. And then it's actually really funny because when I went down to Levittown, I thought I was going to be meeting Green for whatever reason. I thought that's the guy I was talking to. The Green villain. Some of y'all may know him. Mission Infect legend. Juggalo legend. Like, they don't make Juggalos like Green villain no more. Matter of fact, like, I just want y'all to know, like, on some real, real, super real shit, y'all are kind of lucky that Juggalos like the Green Villain don't gather no more. Because the idea, the thought of the Green Villain at the gathering now, like, I don't know, bro. Like, the, the gatherings of old were like... Like, Garrettsville, not so much. You know what I mean? Crystal Forest was pretty chill. But uh, Mud Gathering and beyond, up until uh, the first year at Legend Valley, was just like... Oh, my goodness. Uh, Anyway, back on track. We started fucking... You know, we started making tracks together because, again, this was... He was a juggalo. He was for sure about it. He had a magic record skull tattooed on his arm. Which, like, that's some deep cut shit right there. You know what I mean? Magic Records in, like, what year was this? 2003? 2004? Like, that's how Juggalo you are? That's, like, it's hard to actually explain to somebody how Juggalo it actually is. To fucking have a Magic Records uh, shrunken head. They don't even fucking use that shit no more. And he... that's wild, bro. That may as well be Lokes at this point. Like, anyway, like, I, I want to say this about Loki, by the way, as long as we're on the record. Loki does this shit in a way literally nobody else can. And I say that knowing that motherfuckers have tried to copy this man relentlessly. Like, the number of people that are trying to do exactly what he does much more successfully than they do is like staggering it's comical even like it's wild to me and I gotta tell you I know that it's an uncomfortable fucking conversation but the reality is that at the beginning he and I collaborated very heavily like our writing styles were definitely influenced by each other and you want to know what whether or not he would actually go on record to say that I will say that on the record straight up and down that in the early, in the beginning, our writing styles influenced each other. But I will say that he developed his own style far beyond anything that I had ever done. And he is an artist in a way that I could only hope to even be someday. And that's saying that having been in this game 20 years plus alongside him, like he has a level of creativity, focus, and drive that just... I've not seen with any other person. I literally have not seen any other fucking person be able to do what Loki has done and do it in the way that he has done it. Like, let me give y'all a little bit of backstory because this was something that was happening 
when we were working with each other, I actually didn't end up, I think we were just about on the outs at this point. So, or maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was just that I, he didn't necessarily have a need for me for that project or whatever it was. But uh, the house, some people might remember that. Uh, I would assume a lot of people do uh, based on what it would end up becoming. But point being, the mask, I mean, people know this. It was called Cool Ghoul. He got that mask from a Halloween store. It just, for whatever reason, it spoke to me. And if you know anything about Low Key, you know that if he feels something and it's like that, then it's fucking, it was, it may, maybe he had a vision about it. I don't honestly know. But then, fast forward years later, he remade the mask, did it in his own image, did it enough that it was different, did it that it was different enough that it was his own thing. And then eventually did what he did with the masks to the point where Spirit Halloween copied his shit. That's verified. I've been in the store. I've seen it. Like, that is genuinely some of the most gangster juggalo shit of all time. And the thing is, Loki is a juggalo in a way where, like, I don't know if he would whoop at you anymore. I really don't. Like... I maybe to be polite he would, but like low-key is a juggalo in the way that I'm a juggalo in the way that like not that many other people are juggalos. Like it's the way that we take this shit seriously, because it, it it doesn't even it's not even about the clowns at that point. It's about looking at the world in this crazy fucking way and how do you relate to it? Like he basically found his own actual version of the carnival, which is Shadowland. And I'm not even going to pretend to fucking speak like I understand what the lore of Shadowland is, but that shit goes deep. There is a lot going on there. And I remember him telling me about this shit uh, years and years and years ago. I think I was walking from the train in Jersey City at the time. But the, the oracles and shit, he was talking about it for years, and then he fucking did it. Like... I'm just saying, man, I'm really, really glad that Low-Key was somebody that I worked with in the beginning because it set my standards so high of like, this is who you started with. When you started working in the beginning, this is who you were rocking with. And look at what the fuck he does. I can't do shit even close to on a level to what he does. I mean, maybe I could, but I would need a lot of assistance and collaboration and he just kind of directs people. He does all of it himself. He just says, this is what you need to do. I don't know how to do this physically. You do this, go do it. And it's fucking, it's, it's wild. But working with him, I made some of the first songs that I ever made, one of which was Come and Get Me. And that was on this beat that was like on fucking LimeWire and Kazaa back in the day. Like, and it was it was a decent beat. I don't know who made it. I to this day I don't know who made it. But I recorded the original "Come and Get Me" on that. And then the day that Hell's Pit is released, which was the day before my birthday, so leading into my birthday even. We had, and this is where I'm telling you again, my parents were very positive on letting me do my thing and live my life and do cool shit, was 
they let me have a hotel party so that like they paid for the hotel. Like, I think it was in my name, like they had my ID, but they gave like, they, they paid for the hotels to fucking, and those were wild hotel parties. Anybody can, anybody that was there can fucking tell you that shit was wild. But anyway. I remember walking from my car because we went to one hotel and then we had like started the party and then immediately they were like, no, get the fuck out. You are not partying here. And then I believe we went to the Red Roof. I think that it was the Red Roof Inn. And we, I, we get there and I get out of the car and so uh, the homie, uh, DJ Danny, her name is Danielle, but she went by DJ Danny. She was on this website called Hatchet Radio, which an early version of uh, online radio stations, you know what I mean? Online streaming. And they were playing Hell's Pit for juggalos that couldn't afford to hear it. They couldn't afford to get it, couldn't get it in time, whatever the fuck it was. And because Violent J is the kind of guy that he is, he was listening to the stream. And because Danny is a fucking fairy angel gangster, she played Come and Get Me. And Jay heard it, and he was like, damn, okay, not bad. Do I know anybody that knows this kid? And he reached out to a couple of people. Uh, One homie by the name of Toast, who I do not believe I have heard from in many years, and I hope is doing well. Uh, if only because, as far as I know, we were always on good terms and he was always a homie. Especially considering that he ended up becoming part of one of these huge things. That, 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 <laughs> one of the most, maybe the, the most significant event of my young life. Um, I just remember walking from my car and seeing Danny looking at me with this big shit-eating grin. And then she says, Jay wants to sign you. I was like, what the fuck did you just say to me? And then we have this conversation and it's like, oh yeah, there actually might be some legitimacy to this. Like, Jay reached out to somebody. He wants to talk to you. And then I got flown out and fucking... I mean, I've spoken about that situation a few times. I don't really want to like go super in depth, you know what I mean? Just because... If there were people that wanted to ask questions about it specifically, I guess, but like, or maybe not even, I just like, it was one of these kinds of things where it's, I don't know, it's a good thing that cell phone cameras didn't exist back then because I'm pretty sure I would have tried to take some pictures that I shouldn't have or not even shouldn't have, shouldn't have. But like, I know I've talked about this before when I was at the Lotus pod and fucking looking at the racks, just all the, the tape racks sitting all there. And I look at one of them and it says Riddlebox OG Sessions and my brain implodes and then explodes and then implodes again. I like, that was, I fucking saw that. Like I was sitting there, man. Like the Lotus Pod. The Lotus Pod, fucker. Vampiro, child of the rancid, wretched darkness. I mean, that's not me. Much love to Vampiro. I fucking love that man. Uh what he has done for juggalo culture like i don't know if people understand how much of a fucking celebrity vampiro actually is in like mexican wrestling culture like that man is a fucking anyway like i that whole situation was so like 
I was 19 years old. I was smoking black and milds, reading the issue of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac on the fucking steps of Psychopathic Records. Are you kidding me right now? Uh, yeah, go go live a normal life after that. I mean, remove even the black and milds and the Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Be a 19-year-old juggalo sitting on the fucking front stoop of Psychopathic Records after Violent J spent money to fly you out to Michigan. I remember having a conversation with him in my backyard. Like, the one actual thing I remember him saying was him asking me very, like, seriously, are you a juggalo? And I got to tell you, it was just like, fuck yeah, I am. And I didn't even understand how much that was true until much later. Because being a juggalo has absolutely influenced every single part of my life. Like, for better or for worse, call it what you want, but being a juggalo has absolutely tinted every piece of my existence. Excuse me. And part of it might be that I'm neurodivergent as fuck. But realistically speaking, like, I just don't operate in a way that most people do and I like that is for sure because I'm a juggalo because being a juggalo has always shown me that there's a different way to do shit like I don't know that Violent J really did shit by the book you know what I'm saying like he did shit real grassroots and it's not like they were the first people to ever do it Uh, but with that said, excuse me, they did it in a way where, I mean, the Grateful Dead was one thing, but Insane Clown Posse has this much more like, nah, like we're right in your fucking face, man. This is what's really happening. This is fucking for real. And you need to pay attention because shit's going to get real crazy and you need to fucking decide how you're going to handle it. You can either laugh or you can cry. And quite frankly, sometimes you're going to do both. Back and forth. But that does not mean that there is anything wrong with you. All that it means is that you have had to deal with some real ass shit. Like, let me tell you something, man. So many of the dopest motherfuckers I've met in my life, number one, have been juggalos. That's first and foremost. And second of all, so many of these motherfuckers have gone through hell shit that I could never understand, shit that I could probably never survive, I told y'all, man, I came up real comfortable, I, I, I make no qualms about that, I was definitely not struggling coming up, and I have met people that grew up on a fucking battlefield, practically, and in some cases, literally, like, it's, it's always been crazy to me, where, like, Cause I'm just, I just try to be like understanding. Like I could never know what that was like. And I even say that about like, you know, like I told you, I grew up fucking rap, learning how to rap around gangbangers and shit. I could never imagine what their fucking life is like. Being a fucking young black man walking the streets, like where like I seen the fucking cops get out on these guys. Like you never know what the fuck is going to happen. And then what the fuck? And then if it goes for the worst, what the fuck is, dude, I know stories, man somebody gets brought in on a fucking description and then they sit in a cell for six months 
And then it turns out it wasn't even them. But the fucking legal system moves so slowly and it's so fucking biased that these motherfuckers lost out six months of your life. You know how much fucking can happen in six months of your life? I know it don't feel like much. But like, shit. Six days, been six months, picked me up from the county jail. Smart ass mouth even though I paid my dues. Six months is a long time to lose. And I'm not saying that like people ain't lost more. People have lost so much more. But could you like, I can't even front the little bullshit that I've had to deal with legally. The longest I ever sat was a month. And again, I had support at the time. So it's like, and again, I spread that shit around. You know what I'm saying? And I want to make it very fucking clear. I ain't get pumped by nobody. And not to mention even just that. But because I operated the way that I do and because I can spit, I have people fucking with me like, yo, you holla at me if you got a problem. I ain't bullshitting even a little bit. Like, and there were juggalos on the block. I remember homie with a fucking uh, amazing Jekyll Brothers tattoo. And the sad part about that, though, is when uh, on the TV late at night, uh, Miracles started playing on the, uh, on the, on the TV, the, the music video channel. Everybody was roasting the shit. And I don't even like, what? Am I about to give the fucking cell block a symposium on juggalo culture at three in the fucking morning while they try to just laugh about magnets not knowing how they work? Like, we've already, I've already had the discussion of how I think fucking magnets, how do they work, can actually become a profound statement depending on the way you look at it. But, that night, uh, that's not how it was gonna go. In any case, Bro, rapping has brought me to like, and let's, I guess, you know what? Let's keep going. Cause I'm not going to make this like a super long episode, but you know, cause fucking Derek's not here and I can only jerk myself off for so long before I need a nut. And I, I am actually an edger. That, that is true. But no. So after this shit happened with Jay, it was like, okay, well, so I guess I'm rapping for the rest of my life. So, uh, let's do this. And so I kept working with Low Key. And then famously, famously, I'm a loser. Um, historically, it's probably the better word. Uh, Low Key and I had a bit of a kerfuffle. And that has now been laid to rest, obviously. But it was even fucking, it wasn't even based on anything real. It was, he was focused on his career. I thought Seven Seal Entertainment was going to be this, like, oh, we're all going to feed off each other and work on each other. And I didn't realize that it was kind of like, nah, every man for himself. And I was just kind of like young and idealistic. And the way the shit had worked out already, we had already had some really fucking hardcore fans. So it was the kind of thing where just, you know, I felt very strongly about it. But again, as time went by, shit became cool. And I've already, you know, spoken as highly of him as I ever could. So, you know what I mean? But through all that time, I didn't actually do a show for two years. I did, the the situation happened when I got flown out, that was in 2004, in like September or October. And then, fucking, I'm trying to remember, because I ended up moving to Colorado briefly to live in Breckenridge for a winter, where like, that was a weird thing. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I was paying my own rent, my own bills, but, I'm sure I was getting some assistance. In any case, that was just a weird situation because of the people I was living with. Like, 
Breckenridge is the kind of place where if you want to snowboard for a summer or for a winter and you don't really have shit going on, you can just go with a bunch of people and, you know, spend a few hundred bucks a month on rent and then just fucking work somewhere that gets you a ski pass. But that was where I wrote Devil's Rejects. I wrote that sitting on a fucking crate in a 7-Eleven. But, uh... Yeah, so all that had been going down, and then Colorado just kind of panned out badly. The kids that I was living with were kind of shitty. So, cops ended up raiding the house because a kid fucking went car hopping and left all the shit that he stole on the table like a fucking retard. And they come in, they bust everything, they smash all the pot, uh, all the, the, the glass that we had. They actually ripped up all my fucking posters for some asshole reason. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think the fucking cops did that. I bet one of the fucking asshole roommates did that. But... Anyhow, that, then I come home, continue working with, uh, I don't, you know, obviously I was still cool with them at that point, but we eventually stopped being cool, and, uh, ah. well, so, I guess I could tell you, excuse me, about how In the Absence of Sanity got recorded, but the short version is I recorded it at I think one song I did record in Loki's house and then the other ones were at Slap Studios in Philadelphia which I'm sure doesn't exist anymore and Cybertechnics in Dayton, Ohio which I also assume doesn't exist anymore but it would be really cool if it did and that was just recording there they're really recording uh Reverend Television just sent a message and it popped up on the computer screen and it totally stole my focus. But, no, I mean, again, I just, I don't want to be all self-absorbed and shit where like, oh yeah, here's every little minute detail of what happened in my life. But, um, the album comes out and I mean, it was pretty well received in the sense of the people that heard it liked it, but... I was just moving around for a while. I remember I actually did live in Denver briefly, not long after I recorded that, uh, going to the Art Institute of Colorado trying to do graphic design. But I didn't really understand the graphic design. You still have to be an actual visual artist, and I'm fucking not. And it sucks because I gotta tell you, if I had even half of a fucking brain, I would have realized the... Um, resource that was in front of me and just figured it out but I didn't because I just wanted to rap more so I that actually is pretty funny anyway I again that didn't work out I came back from Colorado that was also a whole situation where I came back because I like I, I went to a fright fest and hung with some people and did some things and found myself in some weird like relationship with a person who I then basically moved away from Colorado back to the east for only to have it then be like smashed in in my face that day which was Christmas it was a whole fucking thing and I still see her at shows fucking hilarious but in any case I like that's so funny because that was Worcester. <laughs> I love it. Um, 
the fact that I ended up making it back here is fucking so glorious. Because when that whole situation fell apart, that was when I'm pretty sure I went down to Delaware and I was hanging with... Because I think I was still pretty solidly fucking with uh, 7SE at the time. I'm pretty sure we were still all good back then. Uh, I can't remember the exact timeline of all that, but... Living in New Jersey after things fell apart in fucking... Again, I went down to Delaware for a while. And I just kind of couldn't make that work because there's fucking nothing out there. Like, I got so much love for some people in Delaware. Like, some people... There are people in Delaware who I care about much more than most other people in the world. But, with that said, Delaware fucking sucks and you know it. So, with that being said... I just kind of couldn't make it last. I do remember it was in Marcus Hook, and I would go down near the Exxon plant and just watch what I would call the candle burn for hours at a time. Fucking the, uh, just, you know, burning off excess gas, I assume, whatever the fuck it was. But that was, it just didn't work out. And again, that was when I was doing Devil's Rejects. I think that was when I was, when Devil's Rejects actually came out is when that was. But after that, which... 7SE was definitely an interesting situation. Like, I wish Wicked One was still making music, but he's so much busier with other creative shit that it's like, not the creative shit that he wants to do, but what he's doing, I guarantee, is he's building up and saving up and, like, waiting for, like, the right opportunity to just make something fucking amazing. So... Because his level of uh, creativity and his level of... Like, he could fucking rap. Here's a fucking story for you. I may have even told this story once, but... So, in Arizona, I went out there uh, on break. Because I had been talking to Juggalos on fucking message boards. And there was a woman who... Like, I want to say her name. I want to find her. Fuck. I... God damn it. You want to know what? I don't even care. Because it wasn't nothing. Like, you know what? No, fuck. Because I don't even know that... Whatever. Anyway. This woman. You know what? We'll call her India. And... She was... Fucking... Beautiful. And... We started talking when I was in school. In Colorado online. Because Juggalos were all on the fucking internet. And started talking and somehow we hit it off and she was you know considerably older than me not like crazy older but I think I was like 17 18 no I take it back I was at least 18 if not 19 and she had to have been 26 27 and like she had a kid very nice kid I remember she even brought her on and we talked on fucking video chat a couple of times which is kind of crazy when you think about it but it's whatever it was innocent And we basically, like, set up to meet up in, uh, in, in Phoenix, and we did. And I actually remember going to, uh, the fucking subway, and, uh, this is why the carnival is so dope. Um, paid for the food, and then they gave us back change that was more than what I paid. So, like, we got paid to eat there. It was fucking, it was interesting. And I remember I wanted some weed and I just, I wanted 50 bucks worth of weed. And I had never known that it was like this before because I had never been to Arizona like that. But 
she brought me like a fucking ounce of weed. I was like, I only got 50 bucks. And she's like, no, this is all for you. Like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? And it was very strange because it was sticky, but it was sticky in a way where it was like, you could tell that it was sticky. Like, not like you broke it up and it was just real thin. Like, it looked like it was sticky. Like, it looked like there was something weird about it. Like, you got like something in the fucking transportation process. But it smoked fine. And I brought it to this fucking, uh, and uh, just to end on that subject, she was fucking incredible. And, uh, best ones always get away. Um, fucking, we went to this mini gathering, or I can't remember. No, she didn't bring me there. No, my aunt must have dropped me off. But, uh, there was a mini gathering that was happening at a fucking. Uh, why can't I think of the word uh, storage facility you know like storage units and shit and like they had a whole like venue set up it was crazy punk rock as fuck and I mean, like you know playing porn on the TVs and shit but it was like I've, I've told the story about how I battled a dude and got fucking decimated but Wicked One and I we did industry as punks like there was psycho karaoke and we did Industry as Punks uh, together, basically. And I don't know, man. That's a tough song. You know, I'm not that much of a chopper, but I knew it. I knew that song because that was what I did back then. Anything I liked, I just fucking learned the whole shit and just recited it everywhere. But, man, I hope that we can do Devil's Rejects for real someday because I genuinely, like, it would be some shit that... Ugh, I'm not even going to talk about it. But anyway, I, like... The, it was cool when we st- when I started working with them again though because again the, the, the beef it was never beef it was bullshit it doesn't matter it was much better when we got back together we started doing uh, Infecticons which I got that fucking tattooed on my arm that's how much I love that shit but one way or another that song was actually supposed to be me gruesome and green villain but for whatever reason I guess like because I sent it to Loki he was like no this is we're gonna use this for something else but I don't know I, I love Infecticons I think that's a dope track but uh, one way or another, after that, things in Jersey City, like I was going to school there and I was just kind of getting tired of it. I was like, this degree is like, what the fuck am I even really doing? And I was starting to get more into music. And uh, then I came out to uh, Massachusetts by way of, uh, well, originally. It, I think it was uh, Tracy and Cracker were the first people that I knew that I think actually knew people up here in Massachusetts. But it was through Torleaf James, also known as the Beastmaster, who brought me out to Massachusetts for my first time. And I say that it was the Beastmaster because he was the one that paid for it, by which I mean, and by it, I mean the bus ticket. And he also paid me. My first show out here in Massachusetts, I was paid for. And I always remembered that because so many other shows, you know, they expect you to do it for the love or the culture or the exposure. At this point, there are very, very few people that I will do a show for that requires anything other than showing up or getting paid in many cases. Uh, Fury is one of those people, for the record. Like, I fuck with Fury so heavy for the fact that he is one of the only people genuinely keeping the underground alive in New England. Just... He makes it fucking happen. I don't know how, but he makes it happen. 
And however that is, the fact that he has continued to do this as long as we, he's, I, I have known him since I came out here. And the only reason I didn't fuck with him when I first came out here is because I was fucking with Hightown, who at the time fucked with uh, USR, and that was also Wayne DePayne. And Wayne DePayne, for a time, had issues with, uh, I don't think Fury, but uh, people in Fury's crew. Or maybe it was Fury. I don't fucking know. But what I'm also going to say is that it's been so fucking long that I don't think it matters anymore. One way or another, Fury has put on for the New England scene for such a long fucking time that pretty much anytime he's got a show going on, if I'm available and it's not unreasonable, I'm going to do it. So, uh, getting to that point though, I don't remember exactly how we had gotten linked up, but I do remember that that first show, it was B-Loco's birthday. And that was back when Hightown was in full effect, when USR and Weird Die Young were in full effect. It might have even still been fucking Met Ninjas back then. Um, things were much different back then. Wayne DePayne was still doing fucking... Uh, Oh, God damn it! I wish I could remember the name of his crew right now. I'm such an asshole. But he was very, like, on his own, doing his own shit. And, and not to mention, he was also one of the illest fucking... He was one of the only dudes where he would freestyle for, like, 20 minutes, but he would do it dope. Like, I said the other day, like, when somebody shows up freestyling, like, shut up. Nobody wants to fucking hear that. Knock it off. Like, really. Wayne was one of these dudes where if he started freestyling, nah, his shit was super tight. He actually won the uh, the freestyle contest at the uh, Wraith release party in Boston, I think, 2002. I wish I was out here for that. But coming out here to Massachusetts, to Worcester, honestly, all I can say at that point is uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Because to go into my career from getting to Massachusetts to now would require a whole other podcast. And you know what? If people tell me they like this episode, then maybe we'll do that. Because clearly, I've been able to talk this whole fucking time. And let me just take a look here. Yeah, no dead spaces whatsoever. I did not stop talking the entire time. So, I can clearly do this. If you guys enjoy it, I will do more of it. I really hope that you guys enjoy this already. I had somebody come up to me at the fucking show and tell me that, like, I've been listening to the podcast. And, of course, people are already coming up to me like, oh, hey, you know, love the music, whatever, thank you. But that, which, and I'm not even trying to dismiss that, but it's just, you know, I'm at the show. That's, that's what happens. But the fact that somebody said something to me about the podcast is just, like, it really warms my heart that y'all are fucking listening, man, for real. Like, I'm kind of not feeling great. My throat hurts a little bit. But... I still just, like, I really, I, I know I'm late on the, we did the fucking Big Money Hustlers, bro, and it just got deleted. I don't know what the fuck happened, but, uh, I guess I just didn't save it, but one way or another, we're probably going to do it as a live stream event and find a different way to do it so that, like, maybe people can, that is good, that's a good idea, I'm going to figure that out. Anyway, I love you motherfuckers. I really do, especially if you're Juggalos, because maybe you're not, maybe you're just an underground fan or a fucking passerby, I don't fucking know, but especially you Juggalos, I fucking love y'all, man, like, being a Juggalo is such a unique, wild thing that I cannot explain, 
but I will continue to attempt to explain for the rest of my life. And I just, legit, man, from the bottom of my heart, I fucking love y'all. And I thank you for giving this place a home, giving this, this voice a home and giving this voice a reception and, you know, like making me feel like, like the shit that I've spent so much of my life and sacrificed a fucking lot for that it, it really, like, I, I'm not trying to even pull heartstrings and shit, but, like, genuinely y'all make me feel like this shit is worth it, like it is given my life purpose. Because I, like, I don't want to go into it because I'll get really upset, but uh, the last couple of years have been real fucked up for me, and I just, like, number one, you know what, I'm going to go on record and just say know what people are saying about me and I don't care uh I know what's true and what's not so at that point if you have a question I will address it but if you want to be disrespectful um I will dismiss you or block you or whatever the fuck I gotta do but I'm not dealing with disrespectful bullshit and again I know what's true and what's not so again I just I genuinely I love y'all so much thank you uh Please, if there's one thing that you uh, take away from this podcast tonight, uh, I want you to remember to scoop the loop and fold the flop. And I will see you again next time.